Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Control Up, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. Control Up, happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by Policy Pack Software, now part of Netrix, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And of course, also brought to you by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Obviously, the big story once again is the Log4 shell vulnerability, or Log4j. Okay, some people are saying it's supposed to be Log4j or Log4j. <laughs> I'm going to stick with Log4j, okay? Um, but on the last episode, I mentioned that the fix for the service itself was supposed to be version 2.15.0-RC2, and that a previous patch of vulnerabilities released in early December was said to be incomplete, thus the need for that RC2 patch. Well, as it turns out, that RC2 fix was also incomplete. It turns out that it was only a patch for default configured versions of the product. So if it was configured differently to the actual default settings, the fix did not work properly. But now for the core service itself, people are recommended to patch by using or upgrading to version 2.16.0. And if you didn't listen to last week's episode and maybe you were off early for the holidays and completely disconnected and you're wondering what the heck I'm talking about, I suggest you go back to listen to episode 207 where I covered more on this vulnerability, but the short of it is that there is a vulnerability in log4j, which is widely used for logging purposes of applications and services, and is often embedded in products. The vulnerability is particularly nasty because the logging is so widely used and to exploit it, all threat actors need to do is to change their web browser's user agent and visit a vulnerable site, or just search for that string on a site. This one quickly became a nightmare. It's important to note that not all versions of log4j are vulnerable, so just because a product uses it for its logging, it does not necessarily mean it is affected, but a worrying but somewhat funny reaction by some is that they're safe because their product is using a version that's so old that it's not affected, which again is not a good thing. If they're on such an old version, it means they're not updating and patching the log4j with their product so what else are they not maintaining should also be noted that just because a vendor states that their product may be affected because maybe they're using that vendors have been going through reviewing their products to make sure that it's not vulnerable and we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, before i wrap up this story for the week but before then there is definite cause for alarm. I mean, if you listen to last week's episode, I talked about the first place it was really noticed was actually in Minecraft. Users were able to send each other the actual string required to manipulate it, the user string, uh, in the chat. But there have been further reports of this already being exploited in the wild. 
At first, there were suggestions that it was being used to implement just like crypto mining, which is bad enough in itself. But more recently, SiliconAngle.com reported that Kronos, which is very widely used for time tracking and payroll purposes, was taken down by attackers with a suggestion, now it's just a suggestion, that the log for shell vulnerability is suspected as being exploited here. But all I can find is just multiple outlets who are speculating about this and a post by Kronos themselves from kind of days ago, I think before the attack actually occurred, stating that they were aware of the vulnerability and were investigating. In this instance, I'm not all that convinced personally that it was Log4j, but hopefully time will reveal what it was. The US government stated so far that the activity they had seen had been low level. And I'll come back to Kronos after we cover this story as well to go more into detail about that. But on that, the US government stating that activity they had seen had been low level thus far. UC rockstar Martin Zugik, who now works for Bitfender, wrote that he saw attacks on Sunday against systems running the Windows operating system, and these attacks were attempting to deploy Kansari. He went on to tell ZDNet that Kansari is relatively new in terms of ransomware and is considered pretty basic compared to the sophistication of professional ransomware as a service groups. He stated, most likely it is a threat actor experimenting with this new attack vector. However, that doesn't mean that more advanced actors are not looking at exploiting the Log4j vulnerability. They most assuredly are. Instead of looking for the shortest route to monetization, they will use the window of opportunity to gain access to the networks and start preparing for a full-scale larger attack. If you haven't patched already, you may already have uninvited dormant guests in your network. So I've covered other examples of that where like web shells are left behind and months later they spring the attack. Uh, recently the HSC in Ireland I just covered on last week's episode the report on that attack. They had actually been in the network for two months before they kicked off the ransomware attack. And I'm recording this on Thursday night. The most recent articles I've been reading have been suggesting that there have been more exploit attempts over the last day or within recent hours as well. So definitely not one that's like a minor threat. It did get the highest severity rating and it seems to be justified with how simple it is to manipulate. Malware Tech Blog on Twitter shared a report by Telltale that did a scan of websites HTTP headers and found over 10,000 vulnerable websites in their report. And I'm not sure if this is even a thing, but Greg Lanier's warned that if people were relying on updating their versions of Java to patch the problem, that it would not work and they would need to patch Log4j itself. Now, I didn't see any other references to updating Java, like people were thinking that that would fix the problem. So maybe that was just him being preemptive in warning. AWS actually shared a script on GitHub for hot patching log4j that attempts to patch the lookup function method of all loaded org.apache.logging.log4j.core.lookup.jndi lookup instances to unconditionally return the string patched jndi lookup colon colon lookup uh, parentheses. Kevin Beaumont warned that some vendors and experts have been sharing temporary mitigations that have caveats, 
or just don't work at all. He shared an example of changing the lookup class, but that the class differs depending on the version of Log4j being used. So mileage may vary on some of these mitigations. For their part, Cloudflare rolled out protection for their customers using their firewall and the former rules that block the JNDI lookup in common locations in a HTTP request. And they say they've been continuing to refine the rules as attackers have modified their exploits and will continue to do so too. Perhaps the most ingenious mitigation that I saw this week was a fix that was being implemented by actually exploiting the vulnerability itself. As I stated, exploiting this is as simple as executing a certain string, so it is easy to exploit, so why not trigger that to run your code and have the code actually patch it? The project doing this is called logout for shell and walks you through setting up a Java-based LDAP server and includes a Java payload that will disable the trust URL codebase setting in a remote log4j server to mitigate the vulnerability. Yai Minton on Twitter shared a handy PowerShell to look into the Java files for existences of the lookup class. So that could be useful to run your environment to see what is potentially vulnerable. Microsoft implemented several checks in Windows Defender to hopefully alert of exploits, as well as some settings and recommendations for users of other Azure cloud services like Sentinel and Azure Web Application Firewall, to name just a few. On the last episode, I went through some of the enterprise vendors who listed products as potentially affected, so let's do a quick run-through of some updates and other vendors who have since published advisories. IGEL UMS and Elasticsearch Engine in the IGEL UMS web app are affected. IGEL strongly recommends applying mitigations and updating the UMS installations as soon as a fixed version is available. And I'll share a link to that KB and to all the advisories that I mentioned on this episode and everything I reference on 5bytespodcast.com and our reference links for episode 208. When I recorded this episode, Citrix were still investigating some other products, but for most products, the investigation has been completed and most appear to be unaffected, which is good news. They did provide some actions for those using Citrix Endpoint Manager or Zen Mobile and the Linux VDA customers too. So if you use those, definitely check out their advisory. I saw that Numescent and their products Cloud Paging and the Cloud Paging CDN were investigated and reviewed and found to not be vulnerable. VMware's advisory is a little hard to follow. Most products listed seem to have a workaround but have had a patch pending label since the weekend. As stated on the last episode, VMware being particularly affected by this is of no huge surprise to VMware admins who've had to generate log bundles before. So hopefully those fixes are delivered soon. Several Cisco products are not vulnerable, but there's also a table of products with fixes available too, and there's quite a few. ControlUp published a statement saying they patched their backend servers, so there should be nothing for customers to do. And I also saw that the Dutch National Cybersecurity Center shared a running list of software products and whether or not they've been confirmed as unaffected, affected, or pending. And also the CISA in the United States is also maintaining a list, and funny enough, 
both maintaining a list, but both have different products in those lists. They're not aligned. So it might be good if there is one true source. Well, that's it for the Log4j updates. I'll probably cover more on it next week. But like I said last week, this is one that's probably going to roll on and on just like the SolarWinds hack story. So I'm hoping it's not going to take up as much time on the next few episodes. But fingers crossed, I guess we have to see how it goes. And because Misery loves company, BleepyComputer.com reports that Google have released Chrome version 96.0.4664.110 for Windows, Mac, and Linux. And it's to address a high-severity zero-day vulnerability that is being exploited in the wild. This vulnerability appears to be in the V8 JavaScript engine. Although the company says this update may take some time to reach all users, the update has already begun rolling out worldwide in the stable desktop channel. And I saw that Mads Peterson shared on Twitter that Microsoft is also aware of the recent exploits existing in the wild and are actively working on releasing a security patch as reported by the Chromium team. And this Chrome update is a good reminder that it was also Patch Tuesday and Microsoft have fixed 55 vulnerabilities, not including a Microsoft Edge, with this week's updates. Seven were classified as critical and 60 as important. There were 21 elevation of privilege vulnerabilities, 26 remote code execution vulnerabilities, 10 information disclosure vulnerabilities, 3 denial of service vulnerabilities, and 7 spoofing vulnerabilities. Of the fixes, Six were for zero-day vulnerabilities. And the one being actively exploited is the Windows AppX installer vulnerability that I actually mentioned previously on the podcast, I think, two episodes ago. That actively exploited Windows AppX installer zero-day vulnerability is being tracked as CVE-2021-43890. And it is used in various malware distribution campaigns, including Emotet, TrickBot, and Bizarre Loader. I covered this on the podcast a few episodes ago, as I mentioned, and in that episode, I mentioned that the MSIX install dialog appears with a green check mark that makes it look like a legitimate installer. You may recall the story I covered of the security researcher who was a little peed off at Microsoft about the reduction in the bounties they were offering, and that he had a sample exploit published online. Well, since the exploit is out there, and this is actively being exploited, it is a good idea to get this patched as soon as possible. As mentioned earlier, Kronos Private Cloud has been hit by ransomware. Kronos is a very widely used time tracking software. CDNet reported that the vendor warned that the service will be out for several weeks and urged customers to evaluate and implement alternative business continuity protocols related to the affected UKG solutions. Some have warned this will affect their payroll for this week while they scramble to find viable alternatives with some dogpiling and pointing out that something as critical as payroll should have had a backup system for those saying that they'll miss the payroll this week. Although Kronos Private Cloud was secured by firewalls, encrypted transmissions, and multi-factor authentication, cyber criminals were still able to breach and encrypted servers. It'll be interesting to see what the root cause reveals. The awesome Tim Mangan shared that there is now a Windows 11 ADK that does contain a version of the AppV sequencer in it. 
He said presumably it's just a rebuild on the latest operating system with no changes. Yay, AppV. In some other news this week, not long after Apple announced their sudden support of Right to Repair, Microsoft have now announced a partnership with a company called iFixit. It said that iFixit's pro-independent repairers, Microsoft authorized service providers, Microsoft Experience Centers, and Microsoft commercial customers can now purchase official Microsoft service tools for Surface devices directly from iFixit.com. WindowsCentral.com also pointed out with the latest design of the Surface devices, Microsoft have been trying to make it easier for customers to replace SSDs and make the components more accessible in general. This week it was announced that LastPass is to become an independent company. LastPass has been part of LogMeIn. They said that if you're a current customer, you shouldn't notice any difference to your service. They did say though, as customers, you'll start to see them deliver an enhanced LastPass on an accelerated timeline. They said they're working on faster, seamless save and fill, a delightful mobile experience, and even more third-party integrations for businesses among many other updates. They said they're expanding their support channels so they can answer your questions faster, right when you need them, and you'll be welcomed by a new look and feel on their website. They claim they're investing directly in areas that customers like us have told them is important. I noticed this week that the Windows 365 business desktop got some updates, namely the fact that Windows 11 that was teased at Ignite is now supported. And also if you try to reset your desktop, you'll see the option to switch it to Windows 11. And there's also the feature to set users as standard users rather than local admins on the machine too. And some other organization settings worth checking out. Finally, I saw that Microsoft shared that the Azure Virtual Desktop portal support for trusted launch VMs is now generally available. So you can now choose between a standard and trusted launch virtual machine security type when deploying virtual machines during the host pool creation process. If the trusted launch virtual machine security type is selected, you will also have the option to enable VTPM and or secure boot. So obviously that's going to be a requirement for the newer operating systems that are going to rely on TPM. So that's great, but also it will help to support other Microsoft security features too. Don't forget there's a holiday contest going on for this podcast where one lucky winner could get an Elgato Stream Deck, a Raspberry Pi 4, and also a book on running ESXi on a Raspberry Pi. To enter the competition, just go to 5bytespodcast.com and you'll find a link to the competition widget where you're able to do things like follow the podcast YouTube channel, maybe follow on Spotify, and each action you take is worth one entry. I'm planning to do the giveaway or do the draw where it's going to randomize and pick a winner on the 30th or 31st. The competition closes the 30th, so it's probably going to be the 31st. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. My buddy Niall Brady posted a blog on prompting standard users to confirm or change regional, time zone, and country settings after Windows Autopilot enrollment is complete. 
So it's that kind of out of the box experience being enabled through Windows Autopilot and allowing a person to set those very custom and tailored settings for their region. I saw a pretty cool challenge shared online to hack a holiday slot machine. So if you wanna try out your chops at trying to hack a mocked up slot machine, this sounds like it could be fun. And finally, Peter Vandervoud blogged an article that's on getting started with security management for Microsoft Defender for Endpoint, which is a relatively new product that I mentioned actually on, I think, three episodes now, all pretty recent. And it seems timely given all the security nightmares that are happening that frankly seem to happen around this time of year every year, unfortunately. So it could be worth checking out. I think on episode 206, I talked about how Kevin Beaumont suggested that this could be a potential ally in the fight against ransomware too. Well, that's it for another episode. Uh, Next week, because Christmas, I think, falls around Thursday or Friday, I'll probably try to get an episode out by the 23rd or 24th. And then I'll also try to get a new episode out around New Year's as well. But that's it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening.